Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast, where we unpack sports, faith, and life. Today's episode is all about the last dance Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, and we're going to have some fun breaking it down and recapping what we saw through 10 episodes, the memories we have from the Bulls era, and and really the hope is to take it a little bit deeper as to what was revealed and and then to look at the spiritual side of things and, and how does our faith kind of give us some some different opinions and thoughts on on what we saw and, and just kind of the the era of the Bulls, the life of Michael Jordan. And so should be a fun conversation. Uh, I'll be joined by Luke Heaton, who is our social media director here at Unpacking It Ministries. And so I'll bring him on in just a moment. Uh, but before that, let me ask you this. Do you need to get your own health insurance? Well, go to healthmarketgenius.com. Know your options. Healthmarketgenius.com. Dot com support them as they support us also check out our website unpackingit.com be sure to subscribe to our devotional we call it unpack this comes out monday through friday and you can subscribe for free luke what's up man coming to us from texas how are you doing great boss it's uh it's been a while since we've seen each other in person we had uh some great summer shenanigans but i'll tell you what the heat is making itself known here in the southern state. Oh, wow. It's actually cold here in Charlotte. Cold and rainy. Wow. It, it's It's been a smooth 94 the past few days. Oh, you're all in on summer. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, cheesy transition is nothing was hotter than the last dance <laughs> for the last five weeks. And I was all in. I loved it. And and I've, I've really enjoyed the conversations that I've listened to that I've had with friends and brothers and you know everybody in between just about the different responses and it just triggered so much and and so I wrote uh basically eight different devotionals about the the documentary and, and so we'll unpack some of those topics uh today on the show but I think my overall takeaway was how incredible Michael Jordan was yet how flawed he was and how willing he is to embrace his flaws and how willing everyone else is to kind of overlook or throw aside his flaws. I just find that fascinating because very rarely are there athletes that get away with kind of being who Michael Jordan is the way he does. Being a bully, being uh, you know, competitive to the extreme to where it's just kind of ridiculous. And, and most people are just kind of they kind of accept it and say, "Ah, oh, it's Michael being Michael," but there, there's just not many people or athletes in particular that are allowed to be that way. And 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 I think people have brought up the you know some of the flaws and all that, but not to the level of criticism that I think most people would receive. So that was my overall takeaway from it. And and then along with that was a level of sadness for who Michael Jordan is. And listen, I grew up as a Jordan fan. The prime of my sports fandom was when the Bulls were, especially winning that second three-peat. And so I, Space Jam still one of my favorite movies. Are you kidding me? Um, get in the hole. Um, and so I, I, I love that. I love it. I love everything about it. But I, but I just find his, his personality and character and just – some of the wake of his life to be sad and, 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 and hard to uh, for, hard for me to just fully embrace. And, and I think the documentary scratched the surface on, on that, but we've barely heard about his family. Uh, we talked, we heard about his dad and mom, but his, 
his ex-wife and even his current wife. Or, and I know it wasn't a documentary just about Jordan, but I longed for that a, a little bit, um, that the personal side of things. And, and so, uh, yeah, so I'll pause there. What was your, your big takeaway, Luke? Well, definitely the first big takeaway is out of extreme selfishness because I was just, I needed some type of sports content to be enamored with. Oh yeah. So taking away just anything I could get my eyes on. So me and me and buddies every Sunday night would gather around and just watch. Um, I mean, I totally agree with you. It's like you have Michael Jordan who doesn't sugarcoat anything. And hearing his very candid commentary on players like Isaiah Thomas or not agreeing with uh, someone's take or his his him trying to get back at Jerry Krause for for stuff that he pulled, but yet no one holds it against him necessarily because he has this certain level of greatness. And like the only player I think of right now, off the top of my head, that kind of mirrors that was Kobe because Kobe was very much a bully and seeing like videos of him chirping at teammates and being extremely frank with teammates about not them not holding up their end or what he expected, but yet you just attribute it to his greatness. And you have to be a certain level of great to be able to have just being a bully attributed to just, oh, you're just great. Yeah, so that was competitive. I mean, that's just, oh, that's just amazing. competitiveness. Yeah, it's just competitive because if you're, if you're not as great as they are, then it's like, oh, no, they're just a bully because there's plenty of people that have been labeled as bullies. But man, with with that level of greatness, it's amazing. And it's true. I mean, of course, I've been getting into the weeds of like uh, con- maybe conspiracy is too strong, too strong of a word, but different behind the scenes of the documentary and how much control MJ had and what narrative they're trying to push. And like one report coming out today that, oh, well, MJ got scared that uh, of LeBron uh, chasing after his legacy. So then he consented to the documentary in 2016 or stuff like that regardless i was i was loving the documentary maybe the best documentary docu series whatever you want to call it i've ever seen because 10 episodes of me being 100% engaged with the television the entire time well what's crazy too is they only scratched the surface this could have been it could have been 5 seasons long like a normal oh, tv of show like there was mm-hmm. so much there and so many stories that could have been further explored and they could have taken every player and even gone, okay, what happened to Steve Kerr? What happened to Tony Kukoc? Like, what was their, oh, yeah. what was life after basketball like? Of course, we know Steve Kerr, but, but you know, a lot yeah. of those, those players, I thought Bill Wennington was a great character, and we barely heard, oh, absolutely. heard from him, you know? Um, yeah, oh, yeah. We, we had Rusty LaRue on the Unpacking It podcast who was mm-hmm. on that team, but we didn't hear from him in the last dance. And so mm-hmm. I would have, man, I, to me, they should go back, release more episodes and even go, I guess it's still in a documentary form, but to me, this is a TV show. This is a, Hey, keep it going. There, there doesn't need to even be an end to it. And the, the part that I probably love the most was actually listening to Michael Jordan talk. And what's so interesting is as much of a media guy, he was during his playing days since he retired, he barely does interviews. And, and mm-hmm. so here I am in Charlotte where he's the owner of the Charlotte Hornets. We never hear from him. I mean, very, very rarely. Maybe when yeah. there's a new coach, maybe, maybe a new GM. But, but he very rarely does interviews, especially interesting ones. And so to hear him talk about you know, all these different stories and then to get him to respond, that was the, that was the best part of the documentary, him laughing and responding to the iPad was mm-hmm. absolutely the best. And then all the memes that came from it on social media oh, yeah. are just fantastic. I love it all. That, was, that, to me, the eight hours, allegedly, that they filmed of him, we saw, what, a total of 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes? Just imagine what all was said in those eight hours. I would have loved to have seen more of that. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a yeah, big no, that, That's a good point because a, a well-established, maybe greatest player of all time, who, true, we hardly ever hear from. I mean, we hear plenty from LeBron. We've we heard plenty from Kobe. We hear plenty from the current superstars. We hear plenty from Magic. Oh yeah, from even even players um, like Kareem. Like even yeah. Kareem is on TV. And then you'll do any sitcom. Just Mike, ask him. Yeah, of course. And then you have Michael Jordan, maybe the greatest player of all time, who is like, man, what's he got to say? What's his opinion? What I'm, he has so many stories. You know, he's got opinions. And then you get 10 episodes worth 
of just him just reacting to things or reacting to yeah. questions, telling inside stories, his opinions. It's like, wow, this is like something we've actually never really gotten to experience. So that was just amazing to see because it's not like, oh, we've heard him talk plenty. This is like very new. We've never really heard him explicitly say these opinions that he was saying. And we hardly, like you said, he doesn't really go public that much. I think the the, the thought that, oh, well, Jordan was too involved in the documentary and, and that kind of thing, or he, it, was, you know, it was too Jordan-driven or motivated or whatever – I'm fine with that. That didn't uh, that didn't bother me too much. I, I assume he wasn't willing to maybe share all the family stuff. That's the side of things that I personally was interested in. Um, even be just more stuff beyond the court and more stuff mm-hmm. in the locker room. Like I would have, I was curious even more of the relationships just between players and and some of those dynamics. Uh, again, we just saw the you know the, the, the scratch the surface of some of that interaction. So I would have loved even more of that. But I, I assume. Jordan was protective of some of that. But at the same time, like I said at the top, the narrative of Jordan being competitive, the gambler, he was okay with all that. So the criticism of, oh, well, Jordan was too involved. Well, he let all that stuff go. So it wasn't like mm-hmm. – and, and what's funny, I think he views all those things as positive. Which, which Oh, yeah. Which is the – for me watching it, I didn't necessarily view it that way, but I think he did. He's like, yeah, I – I showed everybody how competitive I am and, and how tough I was on my teammates, and that's a good thing. So I found that to because be funny. He, yeah, because he was very clear. I mean, that's what it took to win. Yeah. I mean, oh. he, he, was, he wasn't trying to be some people pleaser, but if you're not about that, then, I mean, see you later. I mean, he was about winning, and who, who cares? He was a boy. Yeah, like you said, I'm sure he was proud of some of his bullying tactics because it got him six rings. Well, and, and I, I was talking to my brother about this, that there's no, like, alpha – athlete alpha male more so than jordan and that was evident Mm -hmm. too and and i was listening to another sports show talking about man we got to get back to manliness like michael jordan and i'm not not willing to go that far like i'm willing to accept the fact that yeah jordan's like an alpha male a guy's guy kind of thing but again i push back as far as is that what he represented truly the best thing like is that really the character that we want our superstars to have that we want our kids to have that we want to have. I, I think there's, there's so much of Jordan that is inspiring. And the fact that he I think he's really cool. Like I think he's a cool guy and he is likable and his personality is contagious. And, and so a lot of those elements are great. Yeah. I don't think you have to smoke cigars and, and drink tequila to be a cool guy or be, to be, you know, this manly man. I, I, I would push against that a little bit. Uh, but that's who he is, and he was willing to put himself out there for that, uh, which is, you know, that's that's who he wants to portray himself as. But I thought the the way that he was able to joke around with guys, the laughter, the enthusiasm, I think he played or at least even interacted with, with fans and media with a level of joy because he did a lot of interviews back then, and from what they showed in the documentary, for the most part, he was pretty cordial with the media. Now, he, uh-huh. had, he almost had to gear himself up because he had to pull back and, and get away from the media at times or oh, I got to go deal with the media. But once he was there interacting with them, his his personality shined through. And that personality is what sold underwear and Gatorade and McDonald's and, and a, billions of shoes. And so um, I get all that. And, and so, it, yeah, so it goes back to, oh, do I want to be like Mike? I think there's elements, sure. But this <laughs> yeah. Mr. Alpha tough guy that that's that's the answer that that's the ultimate guy um i'm not so sure about that yeah it'd probably be a bit of an overcorrection you 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 definitely (laughs) want to take elements i mean i i'm i would never support i'm not going to sit here and say oh i I totally support him just constantly making fun of jerry kraus and the way he was shaped and the way he looked i mean yeah i mean like he had his beef with kraus but that'd be a bit of an overcorrection to say you know what i want i want my son someday to really be (laughs) and really uh take on that full alpha dog MJ mentality. Um, but I mean, the determination, the, I mean, the extreme discipline. And what I love what he said was, I'm not asking anyone to do what I'm not doing. Everything I'm asking my teammates to do, to do is what I'm already doing. So, I mean, I love that. I mean, he was e- extremely disciplined. And also just on a lighter side, I think one of my, my favorite takeaways from the documentary was, I mean, I was born in 1997, but I, I don't really have any 90s experience. Oh. So I feel like I was just like immersed in the 90, 90s 
culture. I mean, seeing Jerry Seinfeld in the locker room yes. and MJ talk to, to Seinfeld and he's like, hey, we watch your show in the locker room. And I'm like, man, I'm watching Seinfeld on Hulu right now. I just, I mean, seeing young Jerry and how just a flashback to nineties culture was, was amazing. And then young Leonardo DiCaprio in the locker room. And <laughs> I mean, it was just like, what is going on? This is amazing. It, uh, that was fun, especially for someone, you know, those are my formative years in the nineties. And so some of the music that they used in the documentary, the mm-hmm. uh, from a broadcasting standpoint, seeing Bob Costas, Marv Albert, oh, yeah. I think uh, Isaiah Thomas was on the call for that that championship game. Bill Walton was in there, mm-hmm. there, you know, different times. Um, Ahmad Rashad. So I was a huge inside the NBA guy. I remember that was like my favorite show in fifth grade, and probably from there on out. Um, and so somebody somebody told me today he's seventy years old, which Ahmad really? Rashad is seventy. Unbelievable! <laughs> I, I need to correct that. Where did I see that? Somebody, somebody mentioned that. Um, so yeah, so I grew up. Oh, I love the modern shot and inside the NBA. And one one minor beef about the documentary, I feel like they didn't explain the relationship between Ahmad and Jordan. Like, oh, I was just about to ask you. I mean, either so- Ahmad is the coolest guy in the world, hanging out in the locker room yeah. with MJ, and then and then Michael ends his holdout with the media, but does just an interview with the modern shot. I'm like, Ahmad must be. The greatest beat, or the greatest reporter of all time. If he's got this amazing relationship with MJ, yeah, I, I was confused on that relationship. That, I guess it was assumed. Like I, I mean, I knew they were buddies. Like they're they're like close friends. So it goes beyond media mm-hmm. athlete. I don't know what started that friendship or not, but they were obviously friends. But they just didn't explain that to to someone like you that was kind of learning all this for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. that was kind of funny to me. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, but the idea that a media member had that much, like a prominent, I mean, he was a sideline reporter for the finals, giving information on the game and the team and all that. And he had probably major inside information and he probably only shared a little bit of that, that, you know, Jordan allowed him to, but he probably knew it all. So that was interesting yeah. at that time, mm-hmm. but, but, but go back yeah. to the, the nineties, uh, you know, the, the, all the, all the nostalgia from it. It's just funny to think back at that the level of success and fame was taking place without social media. And oh, yeah. and Jordan was able to build such a huge brand without ever leveraging social media. And it's almost like hard for us to even fathom that now because that's how people really take it to the next level or some people build it straight from the ground up on social media. But uh, Jordan became a worldwide global brand just by playing basketball. And then, like I was saying, his personality really drove that. I think the Olympics helped that, too. I'm glad they included that part of the, the documentary. That was sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm fascinated with what they chose to put in the doc and what they left out because it didn't necessarily all make sense. I mean, I guess the Olympics to some degree fit in, but it wasn't really that wasn't about the Bulls. Yeah, that, you know what I mean. That wasn't about the Bulls' final season, so yeah. And, and so we always went back to the last dance, the last season, and everything kind of stemmed from that. But what they chose to oh, stem yeah. from that, I thought was very interesting. A lot of great stuff. I mean, I loved most of it, so it was cool. Yeah, I mean, for for the commoner, and it was it's a tough documentary to follow because yes, boy, does it jump back and forth. I mean. I mean, I, I was going to love it regardless because I mean, I'm seeing I'm it's going from 84 to to 97. Oh, now it's we're at 88, and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. I'm just getting like bombarded with MJ information, which I love. But for, for some people, I was watching it, or like some people that would come in the room was like, all right, where are we now? Wait, what? Where I thought we were talking about the the Pacers series. Oh, now <laughs> we're talking about MJ's rookie season. Now we're talking about MJ cover up covering up Reebok in the Olympics. I mean, what's going on? Um, so I mean, it, it was definitely. Not the easiest timeline to follow, which I'm. There was a lot to cover, um, so that that would be the only possible complaint. Um, regardless, it's still it was still fun to just be uh, never knowing how where they're going to jump next. I heard some of that criticism, and and I thought for the most part it was fine, especially in the early episodes where they were introducing each character. You know. Introducing yeah. Phil, introducing Rodman and and Scotty yeah. and and Jordan, but I thought later on when when the when they caught up where it was they were showing the ninety 
96-97 season and then the 97-98 season, which were similar in the sense that they had to beat some of the same teams and the Jazz were in the finals for both of those. And so I did mm-hmm. have to pause a few times and go, wait, 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 wait. What, what year is this? Okay, this was the first time they played the Jazz. This was the second time they played the Jazz. So I thought, yeah. I thought later on maybe we didn't need as much jumping around. But we're, I mean, we're, we're nitpicking here. Overall, yeah, it was very creative and it was well done as far as how it was produced. But Yeah, I think underrated. One of the underrated portions of the documentary for me was, was when they covered the 80s Bulls. I mean, because like obviously the 90s Bulls are extremely exciting, six rings in a decade. But the 80s Bulls, I mean, I I guess it totally slipped my mind. The Doug Collins years when he was the coach and MJ's relationship with Doug Collins and just how quickly Michael Jordan, I mean, rose to just stardom. So I, I loved seeing, I loved learning about the 80s Bulls because I didn't really know much, but I was really fascinated with the Doug Collins-MJ relationship. Me too. And, and then the fact that we know Doug Collins coached him with the Washington Wizards when he came mm-hmm. back is interesting too. And Doug Collins was on, he was broadcasting some of those games as well. Um, yeah. Kind of in and out. I forget what years he was doing that, but um, yeah, I liked them setting up the, 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 the kind of when he was drafted, how Phil got the job, that story yeah. alone is fascinating. Totally. And I think it's interesting too. Now that we look back, it's like, Okay, how much credit does everybody get? We're doing this, you know, we do this with New England too. We never really know, but it's a fun conversation. But when it comes mm-hmm. to, okay, they had to have Phil. Phil was the right coach. And his ability, like the, 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 the notion that, oh, pff, Phil, Phil's not that great of a coach. He had Jordan, Pippen, Shaq, and Kobe, <laughs> and that's how he won all of his championships. But his ability to get the most out of those teams, to keep them mm-hmm. focused, the, oh yeah, the, the focus alone, the, the the Dennis Rodman distractions. Not many coaches I can mean, handle that. To, un, unreal ability to navigate leading that team. Yeah. Obviously, unbelievable talent, but to rein them in and to know how how to navigate the Dennis Rodman alone relationship, how to navigate the Pippen thing when Pippen was holding out. Yes, how to navigate MJ being frustrated. I mean, how to navigate Kraus trying to do too much or too little. I mean, there was so much to navigate just from a coaching standpoint. I mean, so I, I totally agree. The notion that, oh, well, he had talent. I mean, plenty of coaches would have failed trying to lead that team. Absolutely. Because we see it in today's sports where as soon as there's some level of controversy, it destroys a locker room. As soon as one guy uh-huh. becomes, you know, Antonio Brown comes to mind, you know, similar to the Rodman. Yeah. Just, yeah, Mike Tomlin deserves some credit because he reigned Antonio Brown in. So I think that shows <laughs> oh, yeah. what Mike Tomlin is as a coach. And then Phil's ability to, to rein in Rodman because what Rodman did in San Antonio didn't really work. Like He was a pretty good player, but it became too much of a st- distraction. They couldn't get the chemistry to really work there. And, and they made it work with Chicago. But I will say this. I know there's a lot of discussion about, oh, if Jordan never retired – either the first time or the second time, they would have won more championships. I, I disagree with that idea. Like, maybe one more on the front end or back end, possibly. But I think the difficulty of winning three championships is unbelievable. And how mm-hmm. drained Jordan was at the end of each three, um, after the third one, it, it, you could see it on his face and how he was describing it. I don't see how he could have gone back out there for a fourth one. I, I, it would have been fun to see. I wish he would have had the opportunity and all that. But I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that thinks that's a, a lock. Plus, Houston was really good with Akeem Olajuwon. Those teams were loaded, and those teams were legit champion, champions. Maybe during the lockout year, uh, when um, I, lo- I loved the Spurs back then, David Robinson, I got his jersey hanging in the rafters in here. But um, that team won with Duncan and uh, Avery Johnson, Sean Elliott. They beat the Knicks. And maybe Jordan and the Bulls could have won that year because they would have had the first part of the season off, maybe to catch mm-hmm. his breath. But I-, I just don't think – I think winning three in a row takes a toll. And just like we were saying, with the focus, mentally – getting everybody on the same page. Then all those contracts, Jordan made it seem like, oh, everybody was just re-signed for another year deal. <laughs> it's just not that simple. And he should know yeah. that for the Hornets because he doesn't know how to sign anybody. <laughs> oh, don't get me that's started. True. Don't get me started yeah. on the Hornets. 
Yeah. Because, yeah, it, it would be difficult enough to beat that Houston team. But also, I mean, getting through Orlando. I mean, they lost to Orlando the year MJ came back later in the season. And that was a great Magic team. And then uh interesting point from uh, on the Bill Simmons was saying that in the lockout year, it was it was that was the year for youthful teams. I mean, 50 games in a very short time span and going into the playoffs, um, trying to jam pack all that in a tight window. Mm. Um, That's a good point. You got yeah, game, to yeah. closer together. I mean, it, it, that was that nece- not, wasn't necessarily the year of, of the old of the old teams. And I mean, it multiple times Jordan was stressing how tired he was and the team was, and that's after a three-peat. And then, yeah, trying to navigate, trying to re-sign those players. I mean, getting Pippen to come back would have been unbelievably difficult. Impossible, basically. All of, yeah, I mean, like, I I, I totally see the emotional factor. Oh, Pippen wants to come back, run it again, maybe get four. But man, he's had to give up so much financially. Which partly was I, I I totally see his intelligence and you know I want to get a I want to get a long term deal so I can have guaranteed money coming in I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all, but let alone he still had to that he gave up lucrative money doing that, but yeah getting him to resign would have been extremely difficult and then just assuming that everyone else is going to resign and then they were going to have the legs and still be good enough to win a fourth in a row, I don't know about that. Yeah, and then that's why it's just hard. Like even with the Golden State Warriors, we thought they'd win, you know, ten in a row. Oh yeah, once they, once they got Kevin Durant, <clears throat> and yeah, and and then with the Heat and LeBron, it's like oh they'll win ten in a row, and it's just it's so hard to get guys still yeah. motivated, still on the same page, and and guys get tired of each other too, and there's you know there's mm-hmm. inner conflict, and and you have to go out and find the right guys, and that's why Jerry Krause actually deserves credit because. He re- reloaded the role players oh, yeah. so well from the first three-peat to the second three-peat. And so going back to who gets the most credit, yeah, Krause gets a ton of credit for getting the right pieces to complement yeah. Jordan. Phil gets the credit for getting them all on the same page. And then Jordan, he gets the credit for making players better. And his, his will to win did rub off. There, there's no question mm-hmm. about it. And his belief that every time he stepped on the floor, he believed he could win. He believed he could do whatever it took to win. And, and then for Pippen to be the perfect number two guy, the compliment um, to Jordan, they, they, they played so well together. And, and Pippen's contributions, you know, you can't talk enough about it because yeah. his defense, his ability to play point forward, um, and really kind of run the offense from a passing standpoint too uh, was huge. So, Yeah, and that, that's such a good point. I mean, a dynasty's ability to maintain longevity is near impossible. I mean, you have the Patriots, and you, you have the Bulls who did it, but like how quickly the heat crumbled, how <laughs> quickly the Warriors, whether it's from injuries or anything, just crumbles. Yeah, yeah you have to stay which healthy. Is unreal. You have to stay healthy. Yeah. Jordan was healthy early in his career. Yeah. He wasn't. Remember, he missed some time early. Yeah. So, yeah. So, all right. Let, we could. There's so many things to talk about. I, I want to cover two more things, though. Um, we'll talk about some of the spiritual lessons learned. And, and then the other piece to this is the LeBron piece. And, and so I'm curious mm-hmm. your thoughts on this because you didn't watch Jordan in real time. You're now looking mm-hmm. back. You heard the stories of LeBron. Now you've seen the documentary. But you grew up in the... Kobe LeBron era probably more so the LeBron era and mm-hmm. and here's where I come out on on the whole discussion of the goat and and just lumping them into the same conversation is I I think there's the biggest difference is Jordan wanted to win more than LeBron wants to win but LeBron still is a winner and all he's done is, is win throughout his career. And you might say, oh, he hasn't won NBA championships. All LeBron has done, he's, all he's done is win. From the moment he got there, he turned the whole franchise around at Cleveland. As soon as he leaves Cleveland, they stink. They get the number one pick. He comes back. They're playoff teams. They're a championship team. He leaves again. What are they? They're, they're bottom seller. Um, or bot, whatever. They're at the bottom. Mm-hmm. What's the, whatever the saying is. Bottom dweller. <laughs> bottom dweller. <laughs> bottom seller. <laughs> bottom dweller. Whatever. Um, and so I, I believe that 
that LeBron, when he steps onto the floor, he can do whatever he wants on the court. But I think LeBron stops himself. For whatever reason, I think he holds back at times. Like, I think he can get to the rim whenever he wants. I don't think anybody can guard him in the NBA. I think he could score every time he goes down by going to the rim, drawing fouls. He's, not, he's gotten a little better at free throw shooting, but um, that's kind of his own issue there. Um, and then he settles for threes. He settles for, for bad shots. And so when it comes to Jordan, he wanted to win more than anything. And if, if he wanted to go do something on the court or he knew that he could, he would just go do it. And he would do it regularly. If he said, all right, I'm going to score 40 points in the first half tonight, he'd just go out and score 40 points in the first half. And, and, and for whatever reason, I just don't see LeBron with that same mentality. So it goes back to mentality. But from a physical standpoint, as a basketball player, I have a tough time saying that, Le- that Jordan is a better basketball player than LeBron. Like, to me, they're either, you know, they're right there, they're even. I'm just, I, I, I love Jordan. I love them as a player. But I just think LeBron, his physical abilities and who he is as a basketball player, I just don't see many weaknesses. I really don't. Other than the mental side and him, like, holding himself back. And the idea that one is more clutch than the other I don't necessarily think is fair either because Jordan missed game winners and Jordan Jordan would pass to his teammates. And I remember LeBron would always get criticized for passing to his teammates and he would get criticized because the guy didn't make the shot. But Jordan gets praised because Paxson hit the shot and Kerr hit the shot. But he still made the pass because that was the wiser decision. And LeBron mm-hmm. used to do that. So this is a, we'll probably maybe do another podcast on, on, on it all. But those are just some of the things where I'm just willing to embrace that that LeBron is on that level and I've got Kobe's jersey hanging in my rafters too and I think Kobe's right there too as far as I don't know what he couldn't do that Jordan could do on the basketball court Uh, and I think actually Kobe if he wanted to go score 80 he could too and he would Mm -hmm. you know he proved that and if you want to score 60 in his final game he'll go do it Um, so he probably has more of a mentality that killer instinct the personality that Jordan has LeBron's just different. He's just a different guy. He has a different approach to the game, but he's still a winner. He's still a great teammate. And it's not that he doesn't want to win. He just kind of goes about it a different way. So that's my take on it. Where where do you come out on some of that? <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely lump MJ and Kobe more in their own category. And then LeBron is on one other end of the spectrum. I mean, I I mean, I I I can't confidently say MJ's the GOAT because I wasn't able to like I wasn't able to watch him and lifetime well just so i think so much of the goat conversation comes down to like what did you like experience like i never got to experience mj in the league and like it really experienced the emotion that comes with that i mean i'll acknowledge lebron's greatness mj's greatness now maybe this is unique to dallas fans but dirk has always been my sports hero and i was just never particularly enamored with LeBron. I was never like, oh my gosh, it's LeBron, it's LeBron, it's LeBron, it's LeBron's league. I'll acknowledge his greatness for sure. I, I still think he's the best player in the league. I think in most years he probably deserves MVP because his ability to do everything, his physical stature is just, it's unrepeatable. I mean, his his physical ability, his anything he can do in the basketball court, he can do anything he wants to. Um. But for me, it's like, all right, it's Dallas or die. It's Dirk or die. And no one else comes before my little Mavericks because we were so, all of us fans were so set on Dallas has got to get a championship. And it doesn't matter what other great players in the league. So my focus is always on on Dirk and Dallas and all those players. But, um, yeah, I don't have a hard opinion on who I think is the greatest. But I, I, I do enjoy, I, I, I do like your point of the mental aspect of it which is, again, why I think Kobe and MJ are much more similar to each other because it's clear they're, I mean, those dudes are killers. LeBron has shown passivity um, at times, whether whether he means to or not, he just can come across as more passive. But what's also amazing is uh, even though he doesn't maybe not show that same killer instinct, he still wins. He can still do anything he wants to on the court. He can guard anyone he wants. He can score on anyone he wants. It's at will he can get anything, which is just amazing and shows his greatness. Um, so, I mean, I think he probably deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore in a lot of people's conversations just because 
you'll never see. I don't know if you'll ever see a frame like his ceiling may be the highest of any player that's ever played in the league. Like mm-hmm. I think his ceiling, I don't think I don't necessarily. It's crazy to think that maybe he hasn't reached a ceiling, but just looking at his body and his skill set, he may have the highest ceiling that's ever seen been seen in the NBA. That I, I think that's fair. And I, I think the blind love and support for Jordan is is truly remarkable. And and it's just like guys were are, they can't even entertain the idea that maybe LeBron is in the conversation. And so that's the side that I'm on. Like I'm just not gonna blindly say that and then they would argue, oh, it's just objective. Jordan's clearly the greatest ever. I, I just I just have to factor in some more things than than that. I, I just can't be so definitive that oh Jordan was the guy um, and that's it there's no argument forget about it I, I'm, I'm willing to have the argument I'm willing to lean in and sometimes just for the sake of argument I'll lean more toward LeBron just to stir the pot but but absolutely like Le- Jordan's ability like the, the game winner at Utah sums up his career that was the perfect way to go out that shot his 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 uh, comment on that that shot too he's like well I knew I could drive or take that shot how great is that? The confidence. Yeah. So that sums it up. And so he's the greatest, but let's, let's open the door that there, there might be someone that comes along that like to mm-hmm. think that there will never, like there will never be another Jordan. We get that, but there still might be someone that comes to the NBA that blows us away in a whole new way. Let's be open to it and let's embrace that. I think that's what, that, that's what frustrates me sometimes uh, just with the blind love of Jordan. And it's just because people, like him, his personality, and how cool he is, and they love his Jordan shoes too. Like that factors in. Like oh, it yeah. all factors into that. Whereas LeBron has just rubbed people the wrong way. He's a lot more opinionated. And if we would have done a podcast right after the one episode where Jordan wasn't willing to, you know, talk about politics and all that kind of thing, I would have had. I would have, yeah. maybe we would have talked more about it. But at this point, I'll just say this: for his approach, I appreciate his. I appreciate his conviction to not say anything political. Whereas everybody wanted him to have convictions one way or the other about social Mm -hmm. issues or politics. I appreciate his conviction to say, nope, I'm not going to say anything. And I'm going to be Michael Jordan, the basketball player, the legend and the pitch man. And I'm going to ride that out. Good for him. He stuck with it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and good for LeBron. Like, I don't always agree with everything LeBron says, but I appreciate his boldness and willingness to go out there uh, and leverage his platform how he he sees fit. Uh, and again, mm-hmm. those are his his convictions that he's got to uh, kind of live live with the, the the ramifications of what he says and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's fascinating stuff. And and, and we'll wrap up with this. Uh, we could go five hours on it, just like the the documentary could go another 20, 20 episodes easily. So I wrote uh, eight different devotionals, just about different topics that that kind of came up as I was watching it. And the the one that I I'll talk about first is it blew me away how you know easily we praise and really worship Michael Jordan, like we mm-hmm. we give him so much attention, applause the accolades we're so eager and and we're so quick to talk about how awesome he is and as a basketball player it's easy to do there's no question about it there's plenty of reasons for why we can talk about his greatness but but what I guess the conviction for me was why do we hesitate to give the God of the universe the worship and praise and respect that he's due and and that mm-hmm. that that really when we properly reflect on his character and we understand who he really is it should absolutely lead us to a heart of worship and praise and and not just worship music i think we kind of we put that into a box like that's what worship is that's an element and and absolutely it, it, songs of praise come from our mouth when we really think about all that god has done and who he is but it's really a daily recognition of that uh of his character of his power and it motivates us to live a life of worship basically in response to who he is and what he's done and and we're filled with thankfulness and it's just we can't wait to to tell somebody of his greatness right no we're willing Mm -hmm. to defend michael jordan's greatness i want to tell you all about his greatness well why are we hesitant to to not be all in and really 
share the greatness uh, of of who God is and and uh, the greatness of His power in our own life. So that was yeah. that was one one of my big takeaways. Yeah, no, I, it's crazy. Like because MJ's greatness lives and dies with time; it rides waves of emotion. Whereas God's greatness is never changing, and it's always the definition of the best. Like there's nothing better. Mm. Um, and yeah, and the idea of worship, I mean, worship is, is, is a posture. It's a mentality. It's like you said, it's not a, a handful of my favorite songs. It's not, I've, I've blocked off 10 minutes here to pray on my knees. I mean, it, it's, it's a posture of constant humility, constant praise, whether you're walking to your car and it's having a heart of gratitude or having a heart of thankfulness or praying without ceasing, whether it's, before I turn on my car radio, I, I'm saying something I'm thanking God for, or I'm just having a, a heart of gratitude throughout the day. Uh, and maybe it sometimes takes the form of I, I'm, I'm worshiping via music, um, which is great, but it's not the activity. It's, it's that posture. It's that where your heart's at. And that's what true worship is because I mean, scripture is clear that God doesn't care about what's on the outside, but like, where's our heart at? Mm. Um, and, and worship can so often become just twisted off what it's supposed to be. Cause even worship music can take more or now it's just become this emotion that we're craving mm. and, oh, I just want that good emotion from the music. Whereas I don't even know what I'm saying. I don't even know what my, where my heart's at right now. Um, so that's what I try to remind myself of how in my worship, what is my posture right now? Or am I so focused on the activity? Is it like a task? Because a task is tiring and worship mm. is restful because we're made to be fulfilled by worshiping God. It's not supposed to take away from us, um, which is crazy. It's like, man, I'm supposed to be fulfilled by worshiping something else, not myself. Ah. But yeah, we were literally made to be satisfied in worshiping God. Um, but it definitely takes prayer asking to get that place because we also have so much, so many sinful desires that take us elsewhere. And yeah, no, it's great thoughts. And I, I think the the fact that we're even willing to worship and praise, you know, creation or you know, people, uh, whatever that looks like. We'll, you know, we're quick to praise a, a beautiful sunset. We're we're quick to praise uh, a great song or movie or uh, you know, whatever a uh, painting um, or mm-hmm. a person that there is something in us that we were made to worship. Like, that's what it points to. We were made to worship, yeah. but all of those other things are flawed. They don't fulfill us to the extent that you're talking about, that, that ultimately Christ satisfies us. And, and when, we, when we experience that worshipful heart, uh, that's, uh, yeah, it, it, sat, it satisfies and fulfills on a whole other level. Then, mm-hmm. you know, we can talk about Jordan all day long, but then what? Like, what is it? And then when you think about it, you go, yeah, well, he's still pretty flawed. Like, he's not, we're, talking, yeah. we're talking about a human here. Like, is that, well, he did yeah. miss some shots, but when we talk about the God of the universe. He's perfect and holy and wonderful. So we can never, we can talk about him all day. And, and it just, it, it changes our, our whole demeanor and our, it, cha- it changes our heart as we worship and, and how we approach life and how we, then how we even view creation, because then we view creation and it just points us to him. It gives us a greater appreciation of him that, wow, he created this. But he's the creator. Mm-hmm. He's the one worthy uh, of worship and praise. The, the one other uh, takeaway was the feud with Charles Barkley. And so this I'm, I'm personally involved with in the sense I love Charles Barkley. I love Inside the NBA. Uh, Ernie Johnson's my favorite guest that has ever been on Unpacking mm-hmm. It. Um, so, so I'm all in on that. But the fact that Barkley and Jordan are no longer friends because Barkley criticized who Jordan is as an owner, and I, of course, am a Hornets fan, frustrated by the decisions of the Hornets over the years. Take me back to the Muggsy days. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but, but <laughs> the idea that Jordan would no longer be friends with Barkley because of something he said, uh, it's, just, it's just such a bummer. Like, it's just, I hate hearing it. And the idea that Jordan just is so, it, he embraces how he holds grudges and that yeah. we, we kind of even in some, de- some degree celebrated Jordan during this documentary. Wow, man, he holds grudges like nobody, but nobody yeah. holds a grudge like <laughs> Michael Jordan, man, yeah. that guy don't cross him. Don't mess with him. And, and uh-huh. it just, it just made me think though, 
in our own lives, we have people that have said something to us or maybe we said something to them that a grudge is created, a relationship falls apart. In those situations, and, and I'm specifically talking about words here. I mean, it's, it, the principle is across the board, but I think sometimes we just have to focus on, man, somebody just said something to me and I'm holding this grudge against them. Like, we got to let that stuff go and we got to reconcile and show grace and, and get to that place of forgiveness. And I think we become great forgivers when we recognize how Jesus forgives us. And as we rest in his grace, we acknowledge, you know, the unbelievable forgiveness and grace that we've been shown. We'll be much more quick to embrace forgiveness of those that uh, say something to us that, that may offend us or, or temporarily hurt our feelings. But the idea of hanging on to that and allowing that resentfulness to build up and we like made it seem like those grudges helped motivate Jordan. And maybe in some way they did, but ultimately where does that leave him? Like mm-hmm. he's, he's a, he's probably 60 some years old now. Um, is he say I think he turned 60 now. Okay. Now you're a friend that you had for 20 or 30 years. You play golf with all the time. And he was an honest friend of yours. You're willing to throw that away, man. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to, I don't want to be 60 years old and have friendships that, could be restored with some forgiveness. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there are some friendships that do need to end, and you, you know th- that's a whole other story. But I think certain times we just let something, uh, you know, take over us, and we allow that bitterness and grudge it to uh, materialize. And man, we got to get one, get back to the cross, recognize the forgiveness, and then out of that, go forgive somebody else. So, I think one other quick takeaway I had was just one line from John Paxson saying how he figured out pretty early on that his him staying in the league is going to be as a role player and ability to shoot. And then Steve Kerr mirrored that of like, I looked at John Paxson and like, if I want to stay in this league, I got to fight and it's going to probably going to be as a shooter or a role player. And just under uh, looking at my own self of how sometimes I get upset with <clears throat> the role that maybe God has me in. Mm. Um, and I get and I, I see that happen to a lot of people, myself included, is we get so caught up in, in how we're serving. We, for, we get, we lose our focus on who we're serving mm. and who are, who we're serving is so far superior to how we're serving. Um, because then it, it ultimately comes down to pride. And like, if, if we're embracing humility and pursuing humility, it's like, man, like wherever God would have me on this world, in this world, is amazing. The ability to even have a relationship with someone as magnificent as God, the creator, I get to have a relationship with him. I also get to serve him. I also get to be fulfilled by him. And he has a lot of say in like what role he has planned for me and for anyone. And we just get to live in that. So it's our pride gets caught up in, well, I want to do this. I want to be glorified for this. I want to be more in the light. I want to be noticed for what I'm doing. Oh, I'm better at this. And we get so caught up in like, oh, I don't want to serve this way. But it's like we lose out on, but who are we actually serving? Mm. Um, and I really saw like John Paxson was like, you know what? I'm sure growing up, he was the best player everywhere oh, he was. Definitely. And probably almost every NBA player, they've been the best player every place they've come from. They were the best player on their college team, for sure the best player on their high school team. And now m- m- a majority of NBA players are role players. There's only a handful of stars and that takes a lot of humility. Look, if I want to stay, do I want to stay in this league because I've achieved my dream or do I want to hold on to this pride of I want to be the guy and I only want to be in this league if it looks a certain way. And and that happens so much in faith too. Um, So that was just a good reminder for me. That's a a wonderful takeaway. And so I think, yeah, I think the one, the one more topic I'm going to write about is Jordan's ability to be present in the moment um, yeah. And I think there's a great uh, there's a great, you know, spiritual element to that as well uh, in our own lives. So look out for that. That Devo. Uh, I think I'm going to write that one coming up soon. So, Luke, great job, man. Great to have you. This is your debut on the podcast. Debut. That's right. Coming to us from Texas. So from mm-hmm. Charlotte to Texas, uh, the difference between you and me. So I was a Hornets fan growing up, but I was still a Jordan guy. So. Because the Hornets, even though we lost, like we lost to the Bulls in the playoffs, but then from there, I would keep rooting for the Bulls. Um, whereas mm-hmm. for you, 
you know, take, taking on LeBron in the finals, you couldn't root for him. So that's the not the, not a chance difference yeah. between our fandom there. But um, <laughs> and I think that's probably the that's probably a general case. Well, Knicks fans didn't like Jordan, Pacers fans didn't like Jordan, and Jazz fans. But I think other than that, there were I mean, eighty percent of fans, NBA fans, were Jordan fans. You know, and oh, at least a piece got, of got to be. So. Yeah, I, I would I would be hard pressed to think that. The uh, Cavaliers fans were holding grudges against Jordan for for beating for beating their their yeah. Cleveland teams in the playoffs. I'm sure sure they had some love for Jordan. Uh, that uh, that's a good question. I'm not I'm not willing to. Uh, he 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 uh, ripped their heart out. Shot oh, over, absolutely. Shot over Elo. God. So yeah, oh yeah, uh, yeah. That's an interesting one. But I, they were watching Mark Price and Craig Elo. Jordan was playing a much different style. So I'm sure there was. Uh, an interest level from those fans to say, Ooh, Jordan yeah. can dunk. I don't think Mike Mark price was dunking too often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, we talk all day, but enjoyed it. Uh, thanks so much for listening guys. Uh, you can always email me Bryce at unpacking it.com. Let me know your thoughts. I'm sure there's some Jordan lovers that, uh, didn't like a few of the things that, that maybe, maybe I, I questioned or criticized today. So we'd love to hear from you. Let me know your thoughts, Bryce at unpackingit.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Unpacking It. Luke is our social media guy, so you can find him on there uh, posting content. And so we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon here on the Unpacking It podcast. Uh, we've got interviews coming up with Derwin Gray, Cameron Tringali, uh, the actor from The Blacklist. I'll leave it as a little teaser on that one. Uh, so that's going to be a good one. You'll be excited about that. And so a lot coming on uh, here with the uh, a lot going on with the Unpacking It podcast. So thanks so much for listening and for all your support. As always, I'm Bryce Johnson. I'm a sports fan who follows Jesus. I believe in the good news that he died on the cross for my sin. He was resurrected. And through faith, I've been saved by his grace. I hope that is true for you as well. And I hope you'll join me as we live life as sports fans who follow Jesus together. Luke, have a great one. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Unpacking It podcast. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackingit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week.